You know what today is, don't you? It's not just Sunday. It's not just annual meeting day. Today is December 6th, which means 19 days till Christmas. <laughs> Having an infant in your home, or a young child in your home, once we put up the tree, we learned the lesson that, in her mind, Christmas must be tomorrow. And so every day, she's been eager for Christmas. We had to get a calendar and move it. And she counted, and she said, OK, 19 more days. Yes, 19 more days. But we know this. We know Christmas is coming. And you know this because you go into the stores and you hear the Christmas carols. You turn on the radio, Christmas carols. Your dreams are filled with Christmas carols. They're all around. And this year, they began even before Thanksgiving, which was the weirdest thing. Christmas carols. Pretty soon it's going to happen that in January 1st, the Christmas carols are going to begin for the whole year. <laughs> but have you ever thought of those Christmas carols? Have you ever actually listened to the lyrics? Because some of the lyrics are a little scary. I wanted to point one song that we all know, we all know so well. We've sang, we sung them when we were children. This, this carol has been around a long time. Santa Claus is coming to town. If you've ever thought of these lyrics, they're a little frightening especially if you take them a little different tone. So hear it this way. You better watch out. You better not cry. Better not pout. I'm telling you why. Santa Claus is coming to town. He's making a list. Checking it twice. Going to find out who's, who's naughty and nice. Santa Claus is coming to town. He sees you when you're sleeping. Isn't that a scary thought, right? <laughs> he knows when you're awake. He knows when you've been bad or good. So be good for goodness sake. Oh, you better watch out. You better not cry. You better not pout. I'm telling you why Santa Claus is coming to town. Santa Claus is coming to town. Right? That is a scary, those are scary lyrics. Now, of course, we know that's not the tone of that song. If it was, we would never sing it. This song is not really even about being naughty or nice. It's not even about an all-seeing Santa who's making his list. It's not about those things. Parents use it in that way during Christmas time, keep the kids in place. Parents are laughing, you know. <laughs> but the theme of this song, why we can sing the song, the joy that comes in it is because we know it's saying Santa's coming. And when Santa comes, there's presents, there's a party. And so you sing the song. You put up with the lyrics, because Santa Claus is coming to town. Now, I share this with you because in our reading today from Luke chapter 3, these words that we hear are frightening. They appear to be scary. You brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the coming wrath? The axes are already at the root of the trees, and every tree that does not produce good fruit will be cut down and thrown into the fire. His winnowing fork is in hand, clearing his threshing floor, and to gather the wheat into his barn. But he will burn up the chaff with unquenchable fire. Right? When all of us have read Luke 3, think about John the Baptist, we think of it in that tone. We think of these words that he's coming, he's mad, and he's saying to everyone, God is coming, you better watch out. You better repent, because the kingdom of God is at hand. Right? Who hears it? heard it that way. 
I have. I'm going to, right? I mean, I preached it that way. But there's a problem with this interpretation of Luke 3. And the problem is way back in verse 18. It says, And with many other words, John exhorted the people and preached the good news to them. Now that word exhorted means to comfort or console. So let me say these, this verse again. And with many other words, John comforted and consoled the people and preached the good news to them. Wait! I thought this was about the winnowing fork and chaff and burning things up. How can this be a passage about comfort and consolation and good news? Well, let's look at the passage again, knowing that this is a comforting passage filled with good news. So let me begin with Luke 3, verse 1. In the 15th year of the reign of Tiberius Caesar, when Pontius Pilate was governor of Judea, Herod, tetrarch of Galilee, his brother Philip, tetrarch of Ituria, and Traconitai, something like that. <laughs> Peggy did better than I did. <laughs> Lysanias, tetrarch of Abilene, during the high priest of Annas and Caiaphas, the word of God came to John, son of Zechariah, in the desert. This is a weird, odd way to begin a passage. I mean, not only is Caesar mentioned, but every ruler imaginable. You have the governor, Pontius Pilate. You have Herod. You have Herod's brothers. You have Caiaphas, Annas, the high priests. All mentioned. These are people of authority. These are people of power. Why are, all they, li why are they listed? I think it's to, to offer a contrast to John. You have all these people in power, all these people in authority. But then you have John. John is in the wilderness. John is insignificant. John doesn't have fine clothing. John doesn't have institutional authority. He's insignificant. But we know God loves to work through insignificant means. And in fact, we know God is at work because it says in verse 2, after all these things, it says, the word of God came to John. Not to Caiaphas, not to Caesar, not to Pontius Pilate, but way out in that wilderness, the word of God, like of old, came to John. And it's no accident that John is in the wilderness. No accident that he's by the River Jordan. If you remember the Old Testament, when God delivered the people out of Egypt, he delivered them out of Egypt through an insignificant man, Moses, led them through the Red Sea. There was a pillar of fire there. They went through all their wilderness warning, um, journey. They then had to go through the Jordan River. And when they went through the Jordan River, they put 12 stones in that river. And there they moved into the promised land. You think it's an accident that John is mentioning fire and stones? That John is by the river Jordan in the wilderness? John knows something. 
And the people know something as well. God is on the move. God is about ready to deliver the people. They're going to be delivered from bondage. And so this is what's happening. This is the good news that's about to happen is God's going to deliver his people once again. And that's why John's out in the wilderness. That's why the people are coming to join him. Why? Because they're hearing that God is going to do something great. And when John begins by saying, prepare the way of the Lord, he's quoting Old Testament, talking about a way, a way, though, in the wilderness that's going to be led straight to Jerusalem, a way that where God's going to travel that journey. He's going to travel to Jerusalem to set them free, to deliver them from bondage. And so the people are gathering because they're, they're getting excited because John is preaching like an Old Testament prophet that God is about ready to deliver the people. John is preparing the way. Now, it's a funny thing on how John prepares the way because most of us hear that word repent for the, for the kingdom of God is at hand. But we forget that's mentioned that John said repent and then mentioned forgiveness of sins as well. Way back in John 1, or John 1, I'm sorry, Luke 1, when John was an infant, listen to what his father said, Zechariah said of his son. He said this, And you, my child, will be called a prophet of the Most High, for you will go on before the Lord to prepare the way for him, to give his people the knowledge of salvation through the forgiveness of their sins because of the tender mercy of God. How does, John, uh, how does John the Baptist prepare the way? He says, by giving the people the knowledge of salvation through the forgiveness of sins, because of the tender mercy of God. Now, forgiveness, we all know, means forgiveness, but it really means release. It's the word that Jesus spoke in his first sermon. Luke 4, he says, The Spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to preach the good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners, recovery of sight to the blind, and to release or forgive the oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. That's what Jesus' message was, that salvation is coming through the forgiveness of sins, through the release of bondage. And Jesus spoke that word his whole life. And then on the cross, his final sermon before he dies, what does he say? Father, forgive them, release them, for they know not what they do. And then after the resurrection, before he ascends, what's Jesus' final word? It's this. The Christ will suffer and rise from the dead on the third day, and repentance and forgiveness of sins will be preached in his name to all nations beginning at Jerusalem. And he says, wait for the coming of the Holy Spirit. I want you to get this picture in your head then. John the Baptist, River Jordan, gathered with lots of people. The place is very familiar to them. A place that signifies that God is about ready to deliver his people. And there he is speaking of fire, pillar of fire. There he is speaking about descendants coming out of stones, the 12 stones in the River Jordan. And there he begins to say, prepare the way of the Lord. God is coming. God is bringing salvation for all of mankind. That's what John's doing in the wilderness. 
That's his message. And the word repent that we, we think of, we always think of repent means simply stop, you know, knock off what you're doing. Repent means turn. Turn to God, but there's another side to it. It's turn to God. Why? Because he's turned towards you. And so when he's saying repent, for the kingdom of God's at hand, he's saying this because he's saying turn to God. Guess what? Because God has turned to you. And so the people gathered to hear this message, gathered to know that God was going to set them free. As that old Advent hymn says, on Jordan's banks the Baptists cry, announcing that the Lord is nigh. Awake and listen, for he brings glad tidings of the King of Kings. The hymn got it right. That's what's happening at the River Jordan. The people are gathering. John is saying God's on the move. And he's bringing forgiveness with him. No wonder they were consoled. No wonder they found comfort. That's the good news. And yet there's a group that's a little nervous about these words. This group is, is not the, the, the high and mighty the brood of vipers. The high and mighty, the Caesars, the Pontius Pilots, they have no place for Christ. They never have. They've never welcomed him in. They never will. Their brood of vipers, they would show up there to go through the motions just to look religious. They don't care about the kingdom. They have their own on earth. It's not about them. There's another group who's gathered on the river down there. It's the crowd made up of normal people, tax collectors, soldiers. This group hears what John is saying, hears that God is coming, and they're a little scared. Why are they scared? Because this is a group that's been probably more naughty than nice. This is a group who knows their sin. They know that they cannot hide behind their ancestry. Right? John says, out of these stones, God can raise up children for Abraham, so stop hiding behind Abraham. They know they cannot hide behind their good works because they don't have any. They produce rotten fruit. And so they ask this question. They cry out, what then should we do? <laughs> God's coming. We're not very good children of Abraham. We don't have good fruit. Our works are rotten. What should we do? I imagine John wanted to say, haven't you been listening? He's coming to forgive your sins, but he doesn't do that. I guess he's nicer to them. Instead, he says to them, be generous. If you have two tunics, share one. If you're a tax collector or a soldier, take only what's required. Be gracious to those around you. Now, why? Is, is John saying you have to work at a food bank to be saved? No, that's not what he's saying. Instead, John knows something, something that we could all hear on this holiday season. He knows that the coming of God is a gracious event. God comes and he brings his son, Jesus, gives Jesus away. Jesus comes, as, as Mark says, the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. 
And because God, who's, who's going to come and lead his people out of bondage, Jesus is going to come and give them righteousness, give them forgiveness, give them eternity. Because God is in such a giving mood, he says to them, be generous with each other. Why? Because in being generous, your eyes might just open up to see what God's about ready to do. Oh, how we need to hear that word as well. That's at the very heart of Christianity. We love. Why? Because he first loved us. And that's what John is proclaiming. God is coming. He's going to deliver his people to this group that says, oh, but we have so much sin. Be generous with each other. God's going to take care of your sin. Be generous. Why? Because you might see this wonderful gift that he's given. When I was in high school, I, my senior year, I went on a church retreat. It wasn't a retreat. It was a mission of service event in Mexico. And we're down there in an orphanage. And we're there, and we're these high schoolers, you know, all trying to look cool and everything. But we're working with these kids. And these kids, these orphans in Mexico, they were great. They broke our hearts, but they were great. I mean, it was so hard to see that kind of life only, you know, 200 miles south of us. But I remember the last day, it was Sunday before we went back, we were going to have a church service. And right before the church service, there were these two brothers who, who went on the event with us. And the two brothers were six and eight, and they were there because the dad and mom were chaperones for us. And right before the church event, because they knew that we were going to be leaving right after, these two boys take off their shoes and, and give them to the orphans. Now, they weren't told to do this. But they had been playing all week with the kids. They had known, they had seen these, these orphans playing basketball barefoot. They knew that they had more shoes at home. And so they took off their tennis shoes and gave them to these orphan kids. And I remember all these high schoolers were sitting there and, and they all start, you know, we all start crying. And our pastor, Pastor Phil, sat there and he had his whole sermon ready for the, the Sunday service. And we get in there for the service and he said, he looked at the boys and he said, my sermon's this, we love because Jesus loved us. Thank you for reminding us of what we do. Jesus loved us. He gave us more than shoes. He gave us forgiveness of sins. He gave us eternity. He gave us a community. He continues to give himself in the breaking of the bread. He gives himself to us in the word. Where two or more are gathered, he's there. Always giving, giving, giving. And so then, thank you, boys, for giving to others. And they said, Amen. That was a great sermon. Yeah, sure. <laughs> Reformation. One greater than Santa is coming to town. It's our Lord Jesus Christ. And he comes to release the captives. His forgiveness is certain. He is generous to us giving us what we do not have, giving us what we need. 
and he gives it to us freely. And so John, if he was here, would simply say, be generous to each other. God is always generous to us. In Jesus' name, amen.